Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. On today's show, just like grief, waiting had stages, and by two o'clock, Judy Novak was well and truly in the anger phase. 30 years old and still bloody selfish. Well, whose fault is that? The mutineers' lodge cabins had been renovated for high seasons. It's high season marine blue carpet, brochures swimming under coffee table glass, drapes so red they hurt her eyes. You have to stay at mutes, Paulina had insisted months back. I'll make your bed and serve you breakfast. So proud of the fact that you could finally make a bed. Making an appointment? Not so much. Two hours late, Island time be damned. It's selfish, bloody selfish. Judy had called how many times? Enough. She'd call again, just once. On the bedside phone, so plasticky, plasticky new, it looked like a toy. Novak. Paulina. That's an excerpt from Laura Elizabeth Willett's latest novel. The story follows Judy Novak, who's come to the beautiful Fairfolk Island to see her troubled daughter on her 30th birthday. But when Paulina fails to turn up to the mutineers' log cabins, Judy fears she's made good on her threats to take her own life. Soon it's clear that Paulina is the victim of a vicious crime and Judy won't rest until she finds out what happens to her daughter. Laura Elizabeth Willett's The Newcomer is loosely based on the murder of Janelle Patton on Norfolk Island back in 2002, a crime that shook that small community. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Laura joins me now to talk about her book and the craft behind it. Laura, welcome to Backstory. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, I uh, I was talking to you a little bit off air because I really, what I really loved about this book is that you are very well known now for you've written a collection of short stories, a novel, uh, all of which have been really beautifully researched. There's absolutely evidence of you know, some exceptional research going into this book. Certainly, um, I can see that you have put in details of the original crime, but you have launched into this fictional world as well. Uh, at the same time, it's still really, really trying to ground it in 2002. So I want to talk about, firstly, the uh, the kind of work you did to, to start to create the world that this book is set in. Yeah, um... I mean, 2002 was a really fun time to write about, actually, because I had lived through that time as a child, and I, I think um, Paulina's generation, the gen- generation above me, like, I, I kind of was looking at them and thinking they were cool and everything, so I, I was paying attention, even back then, to that time period. Um, but I got to visit Norfolk Island uh, for the first time in 2018, through a Nilma Sydney travel grant, and um, I wasn't planning to write this book during that time. Uh, I actually had quite a different project in mind, but 
while I was there at um, being a true crime reader, I knew about the Janelle Patton case, and I ended up visiting a few locations, and it really stuck in my head. Um, and I decided that I did want to go in this direction. Um, I returned to Norfolk Island in September 2019, and by that point I had already written a lot of the book, but I spent three weeks there, and I think being in the place that inspired it really helped me flesh out a lot of the details. And like Paulina, I was walking every day. I was um, getting to know the island on foot because I don't drive. And I think that really um, enriched the story and the setting that I was able to write. Yeah, it's really, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, it's something of a, of, I guess, a norm in a lot of, of crime writing of a particular sort that it is set in these kind of remote settings. I guess it's, it's sort of an interesting thing because I've, I've pondered this idea of is there something inherently gothic about a small setting? Is there something that is, um, you know, especially because these aren't sites where great deal a great deal of murder happens and yet we sort of immediately feel like there is something about a, a kind of small island or a remote setting that lends itself to these types of books. Is it really tapping? into that that historical connection with the gothic with this sort of isolated ha- house in um, a strange location or a location that's sort of far away from everything else yeah I think that isolation was such an important part of the story because number one it's a closed off community so um, literally being an island like it has to be someone who was on that island and is within that community, so there is that sense of, um, I guess, danger lurking close to home and uh, in peaceful places. Yeah, I feel like um, there is that kind of sense that perhaps these these places do sort of, I don't know, I guess in a way it's, it's kind of recreating this idea of the inherent danger of, of in fact, the home, I guess, or domestic areas, but sort of wound out to this kind of small place that otherwise that should feel idyllic, that should feel safe. That's kind of the general feeling I'm getting. And also that kind of, um, you know, really eerie juxtaposition of beauty and, um, and, you know, this wild beauty of the island and obviously horror and death and that sort of idea of those two kind of poles being jammed together. Yeah, I, I loved actually the combination as well of um, this wild beauty and this complete sort of um, insularity and mundaneness Um, because going to Norfolk Island like you know you will see like the best views you've ever seen in your life but then you'll walk into town and it'll look you know not that different from any small town in Australia except it has it's a bit more tropical looking Um, but you know it's got its RSL it's got its bowls club and yeah, I liked the juxtaposition of those elements as well. Now, I want to dive a little bit into um, how you've managed to really characterise Norfolk Island, or in this case, the fictitious island based somewhat on Norfolk, very heavily on Norfolk Island. Very heavily. Fair Folk Island. You, have to, you, you just have to squint a tiny bit to really see uh, what it's based on. You've, you've gone all out to try to really um, get a sense of the island, um, but particularly through its people. Uh, there's a real idiom 
to the way people speak on the island. And there's also a history uh, as well where, you know, in this particular um, case, you know, that many of the original um, or the current inhabitants of the island uh, share an ancestry with a mutineer's ship and, um, you know, and their kind of uh, Polynesian spouses. So that is kind of the, I guess, um, the sort of founding mythology of the island is this group of people and it does have that air of you know like a a kind of really disturbing element that Mm. reminds us about settler colonialism and all these kinds of things wound in so can you talk about how you've built up this picture and the idiom that the the people speak as well yeah well in um in the newcomer because it is based on a fictional island Fair folk. Um, I did fictionalise the story of the mutiny on the bounty alert and um, made it into a bit of a different thing. It's a fictional mutiny in this book, but it has a lot of similarities to the mutiny on the bounty. Uh, but there are these families who are descended from um, the mutineers and their Polynesian wives, and they share the original surnames of these mutineers uh, and. There's really a bit of a hierarchy around it and um, the people who were powerful on the ship are the people who um, are still powerful on the island, but it's their descendants. Uh, But, yeah, I had a lot of fun with um, language. Uh, On Norfolk Island, they have their own dialect uh, called Norfolk. Um, I didn't want to take their words because I was having this fictional setting, so I made up words and um there's a word that is that is used a lot in the book mainly which um islanders use to refer to mainland australians but also pretty much anyone who's not part of the island community they call them mainly from mainlander and um that's not a word that is used on norfolk island i made that up uh but i was looking at their language and i was looking at also language that was used on um, Lord Howe Island, which has a similar sort of history. Uh, Yeah, so I I think that really helped to form a picture of the place. Yeah, it does. And I think the way you've wound it in is, is, you know, really excellent because you're not trying to over-explain, you're you're dropping it in contextually, you're very much giving the dialogue its own setting so that it really does feel endemic to the world that that you've created here. Uh, And I really love that choice. What is that a, a difficult thing to achieve? How do you, because, you know, dialogue is one of the real strengths of this book, how do you kind of get that sense of a natural usage, especially when you are creating words or you are adopting a dialect to make it sound naturalistic? Well, in an earlier draft, um, I was trying to do the language a lot more heavily and have whole conversations in the language, and um, it just overcomplicated things. It slowed down the plot. I showed it to um, a couple of friends in my old writing group, and they were like, it would be better just to have a few words peppered in rather than, you know, trying to use this language too much. Um, So, yeah, I took that advice. It was very good advice. (laughs) I am going to pick up on what you've just said about a a writing group because, again, you're someone who has now written three books. Uh, You're an extremely well-established writer. Uh, And so I'm really interested in people, uh, you know, what they get out of of 
the groups that they work with. Um, so I will bring that up again. But I am really interested in talking about how you've actually set out this book. So, you know, one of the great um, issues, I guess, that anyone who's sort of interested in true crime or in crime novels generally is this idea of the kind of beautiful dead woman um, who becomes almost the sort of plot point um, for then the whodunit that, that follows on. That's not what this book does. You very much are really um, exploring the relationship between a mother and daughter uh, who have been obviously separated by this great tragedy, but their perspectives are very much the perspectives that, that push this along. It's set in two time frames, uh, in the time frame of Judy, the mother, um, following along to try and find out what's happened to her daughter uh, while she's on the island, and then Paulina, who is in fact the woman who was murdered, um, who's actually you're going back in time and you're kind of leading up to the to the inevitable her inevitable death um, but you are very much Pauline is an equal character in this so you're really getting in a, a strange sense this sort of two-hander between the mother and daughter that are actually you know you're getting this sort of sense of of how they feel about one another but from beyond the grave if you like can you talk about your decision to sort of set the book out in this way yeah um well from the beginning I knew that I did want to begin the book from the perspective of Judy Paulina's mother. Uh, I was definitely going against the um, the trope of the dead girl who's, you know, introduced as a body and found on the first page. I wanted, before we get to that body, um, I, I really thought it was important to show the perspective of the person who is going to miss her the most and who is most impacted by her death um so i wanted to show the hours leading up to the discovery and the thoughts that are going through judy's head and um so by the time the body actually does show up we are invested in this woman and we care about her death um because a body you know it's it's a body it's not a whole person uh but then paulina is such a big character and I wanted her to be the biggest character personality-wise in the book. I wanted a victim who was a really dynamic and complex person and uh, a person who lives not perfectly but very fully and loudly. And, um, yeah, so that could kind of um, really show the silence that's left behind as well. Yeah, she's not um, she's not set out as some kind of uh, deeply likable character. In fact, just about everyone dislikes Paulina on the island, which again makes it really uh, a question of, you know, who did it. Um, so really, anyone that you could meet as a character could have been someone who's suspect. Um, under these this kind of logic. But what I love is that, you know, there's no apologising for Paulina. She is, as you say, this complex character. She is who she is. Um, and I think you've kind of flipped, in a way, the sort of hard-bitten detective, um, the actual uh, character who's passed away at the centre of all of this is actually the person who um, is kind of taking on that, that role, in a sense, of being, you know, um, this kind of self-destructive character but who's you know really quite larger than life in many ways yeah yeah that's true I I mean I love Paulina I think she's a great character and I yeah I just 
I, I do resist the description of unlikable because I think there is so much more to her. Yes. I mean, I like her, but I think that she's not, you know, there's no effort to, to kind of smooth her edges. And I really think that, again, we are, like, um, getting way more female characters, particularly because, obviously, women are writing more of these kinds of books or, or crime books that you are actually getting characterizations that feel like you are getting a more vibrant real person. There's no kind of creating an idealized victim um, on the page. So I really do. I like her, but she's not created to be a character that's inherently likable. Yeah. And that was definitely an intentional choice. I did want to test the limits of people's empathy and, really get them to confront those biases that I think a lot of people hold, but even people who see themselves as not being judgmental people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and like, again, you know, I want to come back to this and, and really explore a little bit more some of the themes in your book, because, you know, if you contrast um, Paulina's behaviour with the behaviour of the men around her, she's hurting herself more than she's hurting anyone else but there's this real air of judgment that's happening from people who are actually participating in much of what she's doing she owns it she owns her actions she owns herself she does it unapologetically and I think that there are many there's much more hypocrisy that's being exposed from the people around her yeah that's true you're listening to a triple r podcast Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Laura, I would love to kind of talk to you a bit about uh, what it was like um, to research the original crime um, that this was based on and the kind of decisions that you made um, in, in terms of points of departure. I know I've read interviews with you where you have said that you were very keen um, to be respectful of both the family um, and also obviously people on Norfolk Island who were quite traumatised by this event. So how do you, how do you set about uh, fictionalising something in the way that you have and how does this really compare with the other work that you've done in terms of basing and fictionalising stories on real-life events? Mm. Yeah, my previous books were a lot more research-heavy, especially Beautiful Revolutionary. Um, You know, for those books, I was reading so many other books, going through archives, and I even conducted interviews with people who were impacted by the crime originally. Um, The fact that the Janelle Patton case is so much more recent, uh, it's 19 years ago now, um, it just felt too recent to be probing people about that and especially such a small environment as Norfolk Island. um, I didn't think people would be receptive to that. But also, I just wanted to write something a lot more fictional. Um, I found it quite freeing after doing such research-heavy work previously. And, yeah, with my... um, Especially with Beautiful Revolutionary, people wanted to talk about the research so much, but I am very much a character-driven writer as well. And Paulina's character took on its own life, um... She definitely has qualities in common with Janelle Patton, but she's not Janelle Patton. She is her own person. And I really had to follow that character 
where she went. And um, it's an amazing thing when you're writing when that happens, where, where a character just becomes their own person and is propelling the story forward in that way. Yeah, it's an interesting point to make because I guess that uh, true crime has just taken hold in a crazy way, especially since podcasts became ubiquitous. Uh, people are really, you know, keen on the, you know, to chew over the real life experiences of, of both the people around the crime, the criminal themselves, and of course, the person at the centre of it. There is a move towards really giving life to the person whose life has been taken away. So there is a lot more of a focus of on that. But I think, you know, your point of, you know, really being able to go deeply into a character's um, experience and um, creating them afresh is a really interesting one. Um, why then, I, I guess, base it on a real-life event? Is there, have you ever tempted to sort of completely depart uh, from the research or is there something about that that is part of your process? I mean, I think that things in the real world, uh, whether it's something I've read about or uh, something that's happened to me, like, you know, real life is always going to inspire fiction. I think I'm maybe more open about that than some other writers, and I, I don't feel like I need to necessarily conceal that source. Um, you know, for a lot of reasons, I think... Uh, Janelle Padden was a person who interested me, uh, the circumstances of the case, um, particularly the fact that her parents were visiting her on the island when it happened. Um, that was something that really struck me about this case. And, um, yeah, the location was very inspiring, and I didn't want to completely conceal the fact that it was based on this island because I love the island, and I, I hope that comes through in the book even though it is quite a dark place um yeah I, I think it, it really impacted me being there and uh I did want to kind of pay tribute to that place and um to the real inspirations and be open about that Absolutely. I, I think what I also want to really talk about in this book and in all your books, and in fact, there are consistent themes about, you know, I guess women who are sort of drawn to men who don't treat them particularly well, um, and also the kind of way that dynamic works, how people are both contributing to that. And even the fact that you don't monsterize anyone really entirely, you're getting this kind of real darkness running through all of your characters. The women are at the centre of it and they are given much more um, of a kind of, I guess, you know, developed sort of focus on their perspectives. But Jessie, who's um, Paulina's best friend on the island and has a very complex um, relationship with her, is also given quite a lot of agency here. Can, we, can you talk a bit about that, that sort of allowing these quite grey areas to emerge in characters um, rather than making them sort of simple, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few different types of men in the book and there are those who are, you know, more outwardly monstrous and brutish and there are ones who are trying to be good guys uh, but not always acting that way sometimes. Uh, Jesse was a special character to me. Like, I, I, um, I do think he is a really good guy and he does make mistakes but I think the difference is that he is somebody who learns from his mistakes and I wanted to write a character who um, he is Pauline's best friend 
they are attracted to each other, but he chooses friendship rather than a relationship. And that is a choice he makes. And I think um, that was something that was really important me to me, for me to portray was this um, friendship between a guy and a girl, uh, which was complicated and messy, but he did try to be a friend to her ultimately. Yeah. And you get like, I mean, Jesse is that, that character as well, who sort of really does feel like a kind of, you know, as well as Judy, who's the person who's really trying to find out um, or cares about what's happened to Paulina, but at the same time is sort of going about it in a way that can be really challenging to read. He does things that that make you question who he is as a person. As you say, he's redeemed Mm. throughout this. But I'm really interested in in how you go about writing this, how you challenge your characters. Is it just, as you say, following the thread of, you know, of people doing things um, that I guess people might do or are you kind of deliberately laying in this kind of complexity so that the audience is asking questions about who they are as a person person and doing that tricksy crime thing where you're like did they or didn't they throughout the book Mm. um it just kind of happens (laughs) it's not that's not a very helpful answer but uh I think when I put characters in a room together and they start talking to each other things just sort of happen and um you know, there were things that I didn't plan from the outset, but when I had an interaction between two characters who I didn't necessarily think they would have much to do with each other, uh, you would just get the idea later on, like, oh, I could do this. Um, so I think that's just something nice that happens when writing fiction. Uh, mm. And then you go back and make sure things are consistent and maybe do a little bit more foreshadowing and stuff. Yeah. I would, another aspect of this book that I guess is, um, you know, you really go into is like there's, you know, quite a lot of sort of sexy stuff that happens in the book. Um, there's a real brutality to quite a lot of it as well. But it feels, you know, it's done believably, um, but with this kind of sleight of hand where it's never prurient, but it's also really, a, it's sitting where it's sitting. Um, how is that? Is that hard to write? Because I know there are certainly, like those who are kind of um, familiar with it may know that there are, in fact, bad sex awards <laughs> given to books um, for terrible things about sex um, because it's, it is such a hard thing to write. Um, this is certainly, your, you know, this is a dark book. There's quite a lot of darkness around this subject matter, but there's also obviously agency involved as well. How do you write these kinds of scenes in a way that doesn't feel, you know, that doesn't feel false? I mean, I guess it's open to the reader whether it's done well or not. Uh, a, a friend of mine did tell me, you write bad sex really well. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh thank you. you <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I don't know. Like, sometimes I, I just, it's about, like, the sentences and the rhythm of the sentences. And, you know, I, I do use some ridiculous imagery at times I think and it's just whatever you just put it in there and if people like it they like it if they think it's stupid then yeah it's a matter of opinion I think in the end it is bad sex but not badly written sex to be clear as well so yeah it is it's a it's one that I haven't you know I don't think I've spoken a lot about this um 
on the show. But in fact, you know, I one of the things that um, that is often talked about in any kind of writing is what's the point of a scene, and that you know, unless you're literally writing porn or you're literally writing something that is um, supposed to be about just enjoying the detail of I don't know putting on shoes or describing a weaponry or something like that, you really are supposed to have something happening. I mean, I guess is that sort of, you know, whether it's a kind of sex scene or it's a dialogue scene, is that the kind of governing rule when you're sort of creating something? Yeah, I think so. I think every interaction has to be revealing something about the character or the world um, or something that might happen later, foreshadowing it. Um, Yeah, there always has to be a point. I don't think any of the sex scenes were written just to have a sex scene. It was... um, this is happening between these characters. These are the power dynamics at play. It's all revealing, I think, of something wider. Yeah. I, there is something, you know, I guess in a lot of, um, there's a lot of conversation about genre and what that means and the idea of crime genre. And I've noticed, I think, on the back of your book there, are, I think it might actually be um, an actual, somewhere, in, somewhere in the book, on the book, it is mentioned that this is maybe um, a genre bending book or maybe it's something Mm. uh, an interview I read and I find that really interesting because I think we are challenging this idea of what crime is it's moved away from the the idea of a formulaic type of thing those books are still out there that very much stick to a formula that kind of like comfortable crime like Agatha Christie style books or there are books that are sort of you know pushing into that hard crime area but you sort of fit in that area that that is I guess you know both sort of literary and crime or character-driven rather than just narrative-driven, I guess mm-hmm. is a better way of putting it. Uh, do you feel like you need to be bound by the restrictions of the crime genre? Because this does sit in an area where, you know, the who done it is not as important as actually the relationships between the characters. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the conventions exist to be subverted. It's It's fun to do that and... Uh, yeah, I guess I, I never set out to write a crime crime novel. I wanted to write something that had maybe hopefully the pacing of a crime novel but uh, was actually a lot more character-driven. Um, yeah, I think genre, it's a funny thing because it is important as far as the book is being marketed and stuff. And, you know, when it came to designing a cover that was a long process because they wanted something that would appeal to crime readers and literary readers. And I know, you know, when you go into a bookshop, those genres are often separated. So it's like, where does my book sit exactly? Uh, So I think it is important more to the marketing, but as a writer, I I enjoy, um, yeah, subverting the conventions of the genre while still having that pacing. Yeah, I was thinking that the kind of this is something vaguely Jane Harpery about the cover, how they've how they've created it. But you know, you are getting that sort of the um, lonely tree on a rugged kind of coastline feeling um, something. You know that that really does make you feel like something's going to happen. There's no such thing as a perfect victim. Is the cover line on the cover, and I do think it it pays off what um, what you're sort of selling on the cover. Um, you are getting that sort of um, you know, ability to sit with each of the characters while you are pushing the the plot forward. 
And I want to ask about how you do that because something I've been talking about recently is the importance of things like, uh, I guess, even cliche or exposition in certain genres that if you were to take that out of um, a lot of commercial fiction or genre fiction, you would actually lose some of the stuff that drives it along. Um, How do you balance not doing that, I guess, to the same extent with actually still getting a driving, a feeling of you know, the need to turn the page. What techniques are you using to achieve that? Uh, Well, I had a real aversion to writing about memories and writing about um, anything that wasn't connected to the present moment. I just um, found myself whenever I wrote a section where it was a character looking back at something, I would immediately have the impulse to cut it and I just felt like that kind of slowed down the plot. So when I wanted to reveal things, it was often done through dialogue. It was often done, um, yeah, mostly through dialogue a lot of the time. Like, yeah, this book is very dialogue heavy. And I tried to just make it happen in a natural way. Like, this character is talking to this character about a past relationship or something. And they're not like, this is what happened. It's just a conversation that comes out because it's related to what's going on around them. Um, I'm thinking in particular there's a scene where Paulina is on a beach with um, Jesse and uh, Brooke, who's Jesse's girlfriend for a while, and they just start talking about um, one of Paulina's relationships before she comes to the island, and I think that reveals a lot about her. And in some ways does present clues, uh, maybe not to who killed Paulina, but to who she is. Mm. It never feels expositionary, though. I'm really interested in how you've done that because you are obviously, as you say, using dialogue in that way. But, you know, there's, um, I guess, you know, particularly when you are inside the internal monologues of the characters or even when you're using dialogue, it does feel naturalistic and suitable to the scene. Do you have to do a lot of editing to make sure that you're, you're kind of gently placing the clues in there rather than making them feel really shoehorned in with a kind of you know, heavy-handed exposition? Um, It wasn't too much. I think one of the things... I'm thinking there is, like, one scene where uh, the characters are talking about uh, murder suspects and it's after Paulina's death. It's a scene with um, Judy and her sister Cara. And I remember there was some dialogue that was very exposition-y and my editor immediately picked it out and said this is too expo- too much exposition. Um, I don't think I did that a lot, though. Uh, I, you know, you try to just... Less is more a lot of the time. <laughs> just a, yeah. a little clue. It's what you leave out. I love it. Um, I do want to finish up this conversation, which I can't believe has already gone for the entire show. Um, I about to kind of come back to this idea of the writers' group. You are again someone who um, has now published three books, and you know many people think of writers' groups as maybe something that you start out with when you're first writing a book, or you're trying to um, get yourself focused on treating writing as an important um, part of your life. How are writers' groups still? really acting in your life and how are you working in a writer's group uh, during any kind of lockdown that you've experienced? Well I'm not currently. Um, During 2019 when I was writing this book I was meeting maybe once a month with a couple of people and we'd have coffee together and you know if we had something to share we would like email it to each other a couple of weeks before. Um, 
it was a semi-regular thing, uh, but it's definitely uh, gotten slack. And in recent years, I haven't uh, had a writer's group through the pandemic or anything. I wasn't writing that much uh, last year. But I am starting to work on my next thing again, and I, I am feeling more of that urge to have other people's opinions. Um, so it might be something I establish again, or I might just send work to a couple of people I trust. Uh, it is good to have those people in your life. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, one of the things I really love challenging on this show is this idea that writing is always something that you do alone. There's a lot of time spent in your own head, but these um, these support networks are hugely important to, to getting projects finished or to even, you know, realise certain aspects of a book. Yeah, and it's just so refreshing to have fresh eyes on something and to have someone tell you, I was confused by this, or to have someone totally misread what you intended to say I think it's um important to have that absolutely well uh pretty much knocking up against the end of the show Laura I really appreciate you joining me today to talk about your latest book thanks for having me that was uh, Laura Elizabeth Woollett who joined me today to talk about her latest book, a crime novel, The Newcomer, which is out now through Scribe. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website, Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.